All right, all right, everybody. Hope you're doing well. We're live, baby. We're live. Stefan Molyneux, we're trying out a new way of doing things. Now, of course, I did have a call-in show for quite some time, but I'm taking a new approach to it, which is just straight-up calls. We used to kind of book them through Skype, and it was all kind of laughing involved. So, for those of you who are new and welcome, I guess we're going to get our very, very first caller. We have, a wow, quite a lot of people in the queue, and we're just going to go straight on to this. Uh, let me just see here. We're going to start with Adam, who's calling in to talk about metaphysics. You know, I've never metaphysics. I didn't like. So, um, just let me know, uh, Adam, if you can hear me, and let's chat. Yeah, I can hear you. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Caller numero uno. You should be very proud. They're going to put this on your tombstone, brother. So what's on your mind? <laughs> um, Actually, a long time ago, you I listened to your podcast. And at one point in time, you said that like the Zodiac symbols, you didn't believe that they were important. Like, um... Okay, so let me just sort of get people up to speed on that so they know kind of what it is that I was talking about. So zodiac right. symbols for me may have some relevance or some important in the, importance in the following way. So I was born in September, and of course I was born in a cold climate. Now what that means is that my first experience of the world was winter. Right, which which is indoors, uh, so not a lot of fresh air, uh, not a lot of uh, uh, blue skies or, or elements and so on. Whereas, of course, if you're born in May or June, then you're taken out quite a bit. And so I do think that when you're born, if it's not a sort of constant climate, although I guess monsoons in India or other places could have something to do with this, I think that your first impressions of the world do have something to do with how you end up. And that's very loosey-goosey. That, that's the only place that I can find where I think astrology could have value in terms of not the position of the stars or anything, but your first experience of the world and whether it's uh, indoors or outdoors. Of course, if it's indoors, there's usually more conversation uh, and, and more cooking smells or whatever, right? So so that's sort of my first thought about it, but let's turn it back to you. Um, My thing is the moon. Let's say it, like the gravity of the moon controls 600 trillion gallons of water in the ocean and i'm just guessing because i don't know how many gallons uh, of let's water just say a ocean. lot <laughs> that's a, a lot, lot no matter what i know right <laughs> so like i honestly think that the moon and the gravity from other planets can control your dna because we are 70 percent water so if it can control a lot of gallons of water in the ocean it can control how our dna is formed in some way. Okay, now hang on a sec, hang on a sec. So w without a doubt, of course, the moon is responsible for the tides. But I think when you're starting to talk about uh, talking about the gravitational attraction, but there's, there's two, two things that would have to be part of your thesis. Number one, of course, is gravity would have to affect DNA. And I'm no scientist, but I can't conceive of how gravity would affect DNA. And secondly, you'd have to bring in the gravity influence of other planets, you know, I mean, okay, so I guess the closest one to us is Venus, uh, and then Mars, and then Mercury, I guess Mercury is closer than Jupiter, right? But basically, planets yeah. are all over the place, right? They're far away, they don't often align, sometimes they're completely on the other side 
of the sun. So it's pretty hard to imagine how they could have an effect, even if we passed the first hurdle of gravity affecting DNA. But I guess my question is always this, Adam, which is why, why is this an important topic for you? Why does this, why, why, why have you put effort into this? I'm, I'm not criticizing. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely curious because, you know, I understand it's kind of esoteric for a philosophy show, but what's the motivation for you to get interested in this? Um, because I actually, I, I don't believe in a God. I believe that like our earth, like all the, uh, trying to think of it, all of the planets. meaning. Of is, our... is that right? It gives you a structure and it gives you a meaning and it gives you a sense of forces larger than yourself. Is, is that, is that the way to look at it? Yes, sir. Actually it is. Okay. Well, I, I would invite you as, as a philosopher and as a guy running the world's largest and most influential philosophy show, I would invite you to abandon the effects of the planets on DNA and grab and grasp philosophy because philosophy will give you depth and purpose and meaning and ethics and get you stand up ramrod straight to fight the good fight for the planet. So I would really, really strongly suggest giving up on astrology and taking up philosophy. But thank you so much for the call. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, let's uh, move on to a fellow, ah, like my uh, ex-producer. His name is Michael, and he wants to talk about, what is it, uh, sources uh, that you can trust. Is that right, Michael? You're you're live on the air. Hello, am I there? Yeah, how you doing, man? Uh, I am well. How are you? Well, well I'm well. well and, uh, I wanted to talk about trusted sources and how big tech um, – Big mainstream media, uh, the government, uh, government agencies, they're all pushing all of this trusted sources narrative. Like how right. um, if you look up a video on YouTube about 9-11, it will push you a Wikipedia article or a, um Encyclopedia Britannica for... Oh, oh hell, just work. go to one of my videos on climate change, including videos with subject matter experts, and you get a nice little banner under the video saying, well, you know, you, you really want to not listen to this source. You want to go to these these other sources. Of course, trusted sources is just controlled sources. That That's well, all trusted sources means. It, it means you stepped out of line and you stopped eating the mushroom food they were shoving down your throat. Well, and but, look, post-Epstein... Like post the death of Jeffrey Epstein in incredibly suspicious circumstances that, you know, there's going to be some report that comes out a year or two or three or four hence that's going to probably end up raising more questions than it answers. And what now? Two two cameras. Uh, the data is the video is it's just unusable. Shockingly enough, one of the guards wasn't even a guard. And this guy, exactly. Jeffrey Epstein, that most of the elite wanted dead, just somehow mysteriously dies after not being prosecuted way back in the day. Why? Because the, uh, what was it, Acosta was told uh, by, by people higher up that, uh, well, you can't do much with Jeffrey Epstein because he belongs to intelligence and not the kind of cranial kind, but the kind of spy versus spy cloak and dagger kind. So yeah, where that leads is probably a trail that nobody who wants to keep heart, mind, body, and soul together wants to particularly pursue. So post Epstein, um, what was it I just read today? Oh, so it turns out the modern art phenomenon, which nobody likes and everybody finds distasteful and disgusting, who's got half a brain, the modern art phenomenon, you know, the Jackson Pollock spatter paint, rather than the actual beautiful stuff that used to be created, was funded by the CIA as part of the Cold War. Excellent. 
everybody's conspiracy theories are coming true. Apparently the frogs are gay and fluoride does drop your IQ if you have it when you're pregnant with a baby. It drops the baby's IQ. So uh, yeah, trusted sources are all kind of falling apart. But uh, of course, you know, the government and the social media companies, they want reliable sources. You know what they say? Reliable has this double meaning, right? So reliable means, you know, something that doesn't break down. This car is reliable or reliable, of course, also means, you know, exactly what someone's going to say before they say it. That person is totally reliable, says the propagandist. He's never going to break narrative. So, yeah, it is uh, it, it is really tragic. And this battle is going to only heat up next year. The Epstein thing is uh, it's kind of like their boys town and the trusted, reliable sources never talked about that either. They even mm. um, prevented that documentary from being aired on PBS. Uh, which and, one's that? Um, I believe it's called um, Conspiracy of Silence. Uh, it's about the Texas GOP guy who was running little boys through the White House, through the uh, Reagan and Daddy Bush years. No. Uh, yeah, it's anyway, funny. And I, conspiracy theory itself was a term invented, I think it was by the CIA, to discredit people asking uncomfortable questions. You know, it's sort of like um, if if you and I are playing on a football team, right, where we're playing together, you're the quarterback and I'm the running back or whatever, right? And what happens is we, we look across the football field, right, and we see the other football players, like we're in the blue blue team and they're the red team, right, the commie team or whatever, right? So we look across the football field and what do we see? What do we see? We see hand signals. We see coordination. We see a huddle. And I turn to you and I say, hey, man, I think they're working together on something. I think they've got a plan. And you're like, what, are you crazy? You're some kind of conspiracy theorist. It's like, no, look, people in power have a plan and they like to stay in power. And guess what? If they're in power, they're pretty damn good at staying in power. So, yeah, thanks for your call, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, keep keep your eye on trusted sources. They're horribly uh, reliable, <laughs> which just means that they're acting for the interests of the elites rather than yourself. Okay, Eric wants to talk about dating a 30-year-old in today's environment and if you stay in this relationship with, a, with someone who's 12 years older or try to find a woman his own age and so on, right? So uh, let's get into hey, a conversation with Eric. Eric, can you hear me all right? Yep. All right, Eric. So you're 18, you're dating a 30-year-old? Uh, I'm, I'm 30 and, oh, you're asking a hypothetical? No, no, I'm so sorry. Uh, I thought you were 18. So you're dating a 30-year-old? Oh, you're, you are a 30-year-old. Yep, I am 30, and I'm dating a 42-year-old. Oh, okay. I knew there was 12 years in there somewhere. Okay, so you're 30, and you're dating a 42-year-old. Well, yep. do you want kids? Good question. Um, I'm not sure. I, I feel like I would want kids maybe in the future when I collect more resources. Um, well, I why are you like dating a 42-year-old right if you think you want kids in the future, man? Yeah, I mean, I'm you're not, not going to get them. Like, I, I am yeah, you're not going to get them, right? That's that's not going to happen. Or, or if you do, you might get one that maybe has a significant chance of being a Downs baby, in which case your life becomes very challenging for approximately the next 50 years. So uh, if you want babies, or, or you think you might, then, yeah, don't, uh, you know... When you get involved in relationships, the the sooner 
that you have a good reason to get out, the sooner you should get out. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, it's unfair to the other person. Like if she's looking for a lifelong partner and at 42, she probably, I mean, she doesn't have kids to offer a guy. You have kids. If you're 42 and she's 30, you guys are fine. But the other way around, she doesn't have kids really to offer a guy. And so it's unfair to her if you have a good reason to not date her, to keep dating her. That's just bad form all around. But there's another reason too, which is uh, how long have you guys been going out? Uh, almost three years now. Almost three years? You haven't had yeah. the conversation about kids? No, no. We've had the conversation many times. And I, I bring up the same point. Um, she seems to be all right with it. She's also in the same boat. Like, she'd be okay without them. But I don't know if I really... Wait, you've, so, sorry. You've been dating for three years. You've brought up the conversation about kids many times. But it's not a conversation when she's 42. I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but it's not a conversation when she's 42. That's like me saying, well, you know, I have had conversations with the ballet company about becoming a primo ballerina at the age of 53 and with some twigs and berries rather than um, a snug harbor. And it's not, it's not really a conversation because I'm not going to be a primo a prima ba- ballerina, right? And, and so it's not really, if you're having a conversation with a 42-year-old woman about having kids, uh, unless the conversation is it ain't going to happen, I don't really see what the conversation is. Yeah, I'm basically saying it, it's not going to happen. And then it's like, I mean, most likely it's not going to happen. And then it's like, well, is this a strong long-term? But then it's, you know, we get along really well together. And I've tried, we've tried like breaking up, you know, spending like three months apart. And I've tried dating people my own age. Uh, but, I mean, it's pretty tough. Like, uh, it's, there's a lot of girls that are just, don't get along as well. Um, even if they are my own age, you, you know, I can see that they're like trying to work really hard or they're like feminist and they're in, you know, college and focused on their career. They don't really put much value on the traditional way of life where you, you know, settle down and raise kids. Um, so it's hard to like convince them. And, you know, I'd rather just get along or find somebody who gets along with me. Um, yeah, that's kind of my situation. All right. So let's look at it this way. You're 60 and she's 72. How's that going to feel for you? Um, it's it's going to be fine. But yeah, I mean, really late well, in life. Health-wise, you know. you're going to be spending a lot of years taking care of someone who's old. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about this long-term too. And I mean... Yeah. Look, either you're very mature or she's immature, right? I mean, for you guys to like 12 years, um, you know, that's uh, that's that's a lot of years, right? That is that is a lot of years. And I mean, you know, if your relationship was was born 12 years ago in two years, she's being eyed by people like Jeffrey Epstein. Right. So 12 years is a lot of time. Are you just remarkably mature or is she remarkably immature or, or how are you guys meeting in the middle there? I don't know. Um, I think we're both mature. Uh, you know, no, but she has to be less mature than you for you guys to have. Cause 12 years a big, I mean, it's, I think of my, sorry, I didn't drop, but I think of the sort of difference between me at 30 and me at 42. I mean, that's a lot of years. That's a lot of experience. And for you guys to be at the same level, you must be hyper ahead or she must be hyper behind or, or some combo of that. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I, I'm not sure how to respond. Uh, 
No, I mean, but I logically that it. would be the case, right? And here's the other rank. So if it's not the right relationship for you, then the longer it goes on, the harder it is for you to find someone else, right? So you say to me, right, something like, um, well, we broke up for three months. I tried dating other girls. Well, you can't date other girls. If you've been in a relationship for a year or two or three and you break up for three months, you try dating other girls, you're not emotionally available to deal with a new relationship. Why? Because it takes about half the length of a relationship to recover from it and, and to become like to 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 reset your cal uh, your calibration, to learn how to trust again, to figure out what went wrong. You name it. Right. You're going to need a long time to get over this relationship. If it's not the right one, you can't just bungee out of it. You know, like you have a do this thing where you, you see a movie in the middle of the day and maybe it's some like creepy, dark horror movie where everything's uh, in, in a midnight forest or something like that. And you're in there for a couple hours and you come out and it's like, you know, Satan <laughs> shitting acidic streams onto your uh, retinas, right? Because you come out and the sun is like, meh, 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 right? It's painful, right? It takes a while for your eyes to adjust. Or my daughter and I, we like to watch meteor showers, right? But it takes 20 to 30 minutes for your eyes to fully adjust to the nighttime so you can see the meteors properly, right? So when you get out of a relationship where you it's been serious and so on, it takes a long time to recover, which is another reason why if the relationship's not the right one for you, you shouldn't spend another day in it because every single day or every single month, you say, uh, that you stay in it, it's another two weeks before you can date again properly right? or, or with your heart open. Now, again, that's a rule of thumb. There's exceptions, but that's a general thing that I've sort of observed and I've sort of read about. So if it's not the right relationship yeah. for you, now that you've been going out for three years, uh, it's going to take you probably, you know, a minimum six to 12 months to get over this relationship. And if you think that you can just bungee in and test the waters and figure out if you're a good person to date, um, you know, no woman with any common sense is going to say to you, oh, are you just taking a break from a three year relationship? Oh, let's date, right? I mean, no quality woman is going to want to do that because you won't be emotionally available for for quite some time. So. But yeah, it comes down to kids fundamentally. Um, I, I, everyone knows where my particular preference or bias is, which is I would not uh, give up having uh, a child, give, give, give up being a father for anything in the world. And um, a probably immature 42-year-old woman wouldn't be my choice at all, but uh, I certainly wish you the best with that. So thanks very much for the call. And let's see here. Kyle wants to talk about the blame game after mass shootings, uh, which there was just another... A uh, terrible one today. There was one yesterday at a football game. There was another terrible one today, if I remember rightly. Something like uh, 30 people uh, got shot, which is obviously pretty bad. Uh, let's just see if we can get uh, Kyle hey, in here. Fine. Kyle, can you uh, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Can you All hear right, me? man. How you doing? Good, good. Yeah. Um, how are you, Stefan? I'm uh, doing good and doing well, hopefully. Uh, thanks very much for asking. So what's on your mind? Okay, uh, for me, I am, I'm a researcher, but uh, what I do study more on uh, intels, and I've been listening to more, watching your videos on your channel on YouTube uh, regarding some of the stuff, uh, and, and topics about, you know, weight, women and dating and all that, and when it comes to mass shootings and stuff, I also do studies on mass shootings as well. I do research work on that. Just uh, in my last year in uh, university, I ended up uh, writing a 30-page uh, 
research paper on incels and mass shootings. And the thing with mass shootings is that people are quick to blame incels for them. And the more I've learned about this community, the more I know this that we should not push blame on these guys. We should wait until you know new facts, new evidence comes out. And well, be, listening to the other people on your conversation, uh, as in like true you know true sources and such, we should wait until start pushing the blame on certain groups. And I was wondering, was like, what do you, what is your response to that? Well, you know, there's so much that goes into this mass shooting analysis. And like most of the analyses that occur, uh, they are uh, wrong slash terrible slash God forsaken, right? So first of all, Mass shootings, there's a lot of cases, a lot of arguments say mass shootings are, are, are going down. And one of the reasons, of course, why they're pushed so much is the media is run by the left, and the left is desperate to get guns away from people. The left has always been def- desperate to get guns away from people because it's really tough to expand government when there's an armed population, which is something that the Founding Fathers knew very well, which is why there is such a thing as the Second Amendment, right? So uh, the, the, it's, it's really, really clear. The left wants to use – what they want to do is create this tipping point. You know, one of the left's, the way that the left works is is like this. They kind of have this Chinese water torture, drip, drip, drip. Now, you know, Chinese water torture is when you have something dripping on your eyes or in some other sensitive part of your body, you can't sleep. Now, the first drip is like, eh, call this torture. I still have my fingernails, don't I? And then the second drip no, is like, yeah, it's fine, been, you know. But, I've... you know, the, the 5,000th or the 10,000th drip, it's it starts to drive you crazy. And it's a sort of slow, persistent right. drip, drip, drip. So, of course, what the media does is every time there's an incident, and as long as that incident follows a particular narrative, in other words, it's a, it's a white male and it's, the, uh, you know, hopefully male. right wing. Sorry, you were saying? Yes. Uh, particularly, it's the setting is white male, right wing. Uh, now it's incel. Um, yeah, incel, absolutely. And you know what's work. interesting about the incel term? Yeah. If you want to look at a number, a large mm-hmm. number of incels, you would look at the migrants into Europe. Uh, in particular, right? Because the migrants into Europe, you know, 80, 90% of the migrants in most places are sort of young fighting age men. And they're right. not going into a whole Sharia compliant, lots of cousins available for you to marriage environment. But no one is calling those guys incels. I've never seen one report anywhere in the news or or um, even on Twitter calling those guys incels, See, even though, of course, technically... No. That they, they would be involuntarily celibate because uh, they, they don't have a lot of dating opportunities. So what the left does is right. they, they keep know, hitting if you. If it's if the right narrative, they'll keep hitting you with these shootings. And every single mm-hmm. time they'll say, you know, we have to do something. Enough is enough. And it's this drip, drip, drip. It's designed to slowly wear away your resistance until they can finally make a move and take the guns. And they're, they're patient, right? They're, they're very, very patient. If you look at yeah. the destruction of the West, um, you know, starting in the, the mid 19th century, you could argue, right? 170 years, 150 years, 100 years if you count sort of the founding of the Communist International and so on. They're very, very patient guys. You know, they are, you know, termites, so to speak, relative to the superstructure basement of of the house of the West. So they're very, very patient. So as far as all these shootings go, shootings are down in many cases. Violent crime is down in many cases. Uh, Schools are safer in many Uh, cases. Sorry, go ahead. Of course. Of course. Uh, Violent crime 
overall is down. Right. It really is. Yeah. And uh, so the media seems to be pushing a big instant. Usually over the years, we would have one or two mass shootings. Or, and then if you look into cities, you know, cities such as the Chicago, or you look into uh, crime ridden states, you know, usually most of those shootings are gang related. And they don't count those because it has to be within the, the white. Well, and they <laughs> count Hispanics as whites when it comes to criminal activity, right? Well, yeah. A lot of times. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it's, so, some major things, right? Breakdown of the like, why, why it's still there, right? Breakdown of the family, multiculturalism destroying social trust. Family, You've got yeah. uh, kids being dumped in daycares, not forming pair bonds. You've got uh, uh, forming bonds with with caregivers. You've got, of course, the mass drugging, particularly of boys mm-hmm. in the schools. And boys listen, of, uh, I mean, these these drugs are, they've never been tested, yeah. and they're not formally approved for use on children. These psychotropic drugs, right? So. Uh, and and one of the side effects is is homicidal ideation, right? So you're pumping kids full of drugs. Again, I'm no expert, so you know everybody look this stuff up for themselves. But that's the black box warning label on some of these uh, medications that are used to control kids' boredom uh, slash ADHD slash way too many female teachers and a girl centric curriculum that is heavily politicized and not at all interesting to anybody with half a brain. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on in society, and of course, um, one government program leads to another government program. So terrible government education, mm-hmm. uh, mass drugging of kids, which is largely funded by the government, uh, daycare, which is heavily subsidized by the government, and uh, all of these government programs lead to another government program called gun confiscation, and it's happened in lots of other countries, right. and I think Red that's black, one of the goals, of Red course, with the black. United States. Yeah, there's also a red flag law. I've been noticing some U.S. states have passed those, and uh, there's been recent confiscation. Oh, that's and where if, if someone yeah. says you're crazy and that someone yeah. has credibility, uh, I guess professional right, credibility, so, you can be they have to go, guns. Uh, yeah, but they have to go to a judge first in order to get that order. But some people, <laughs> but, go but to given the, the activism of judges in America, yeah. that means precious little. I mean, you had this guy. The doctor, uh, the, the professor of uh, former professor of psychiatry, uh, and the guy who had chaired mm-hmm. the committee that put together the DSM four, which is sort of the former bible of mental health. Right. This guy was saying that Trump mm-hmm. is is mentally ill. In fact, he was saying Trump is so mentally ill, it's an insult <laughs> to the mentally ill to call him mentally ill. So here, this guy yeah. would, would yeah, with, with impeccable hard. professional credentials would very happily stand up in front of a judge and say. If, if you're a Trump supporter, well, this guy supports a guy who's insane, who's going to kill more people than Stalin, Mao, and Hitler put together, right? So as far as, you know, this yeah, being yeah, kind yeah, of any I, objective I, process, I the, the psychiatric profession, I don't know if it's because of the Jewish influence or something else, is very, very heavily Democrat and very, very heavily on the left. And they've regularly called, uh, mm-hmm. uh, from Barry Goldwater onwards, they've regularly called uh, Republican politicians uh, mentally ill. And so, because it's so politicized, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they just don't like your politics, and they can take your guns. Right, right. Yeah, I see that too. And and in regards to uh, dating and everything, uh, there's some interesting posts on your Twitter page and your videos. You know, very interesting stuff. And the more I look into, you know, given that you know some of the you know, stuff that's said on the info community is uh, some of it, you know, it's meant to be taken, some of it's meant to be taken as a joke, but there's some some groups that uh, see it as not a joke and they take it to the absurd length and say, 
these guys are evil, so therefore they uh, put labels. Um, sexist, misogynist. Whatever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the political and, judgments almost immediately yeah, become yeah. Uh, something that gets you in legal complications. All right. And move on to the next caller. We mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of people who want to chat, but uh, a real great pleasure to right. chat with you, Carl. Thank you uh, so much. I appreciate that. All yeah. right. Uh, let's see here. All right. Ooh, an update. Da, 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 da. Okay, so we've got somebody whose name is uh, Leon, and he is uh, a caller from a couple of years ago to the call-in show. He's got an update for you. I assume, of course, that he's calling from the afterlife, and he's got an update for us on life after death. <laughs> Leon, can you hear me from heaven? I can hear you. Can you I hear can. me? Wow. Heaven has, has good yeah. Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's Wonderful. good to know. What's up, brother? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Hey, so good news update here. Uh, My little lad now is five and a half months and he's the happiest little boy I've ever experienced. Like being a parent is the most exquisite sort of joy I've ever experienced. So much so that I guess we're starting on our second one. Oh, that is fantastic. Now, um, given that I've talked to a couple billion people over the years, I wonder if you could uh, fill me in on um, what happened a couple of years ago. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I told you, um, I felt my kind of sucked into the strange world of the furry fandom and just kind of described Wait, to you. The I mean, North not, American the first River time Honor. around, I was kind of. Ex- yes, that's Dude, correct. That's correct. You Which spawned. is, oh, by the way, just for the visual aesthetic. That is, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. I listen, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear from now. you. And, I, you know, I know that sounds irreverent, but uh, I have great love for that call and for you. No, so, no, yeah, no. please go ahead. Yeah, um, well, I guess the most important thing is um, their relationship with my parents. So not quite, uh, I mean, it's not like how I wanted it to go, but um, I have noticed more that the way my my father in particular does show that his love is um, through doing stuff. So, you know, all the time over, he's there fixing the car, he's there, you know, repairing, like we're living, you know, in a place that he rented out for us. It's kind of a sweetheart deal in that regard. Um and yeah, he's just shown it in his own way, which was, I was, you know, I was paying attention to it because I was like, oh, you know, maybe, you know, obviously, because I was blaming myself for a lot of stuff, you know, trying to see, be a better person, thinking it was my fault. Anyway, um, I've been observant on him, with him, and he does show his love. It's in a different way. And we do try at, from time to time, I try to show him the interest that I have, which is, Mostly not the furry fandom anymore. Like, there's still there, just a little bit, but it's really just the aesthetic. You've been known to, uh, to no, take a pause in the no Russian hat there. section of Saks Fifth Avenue. All right, got it. I suppose so, yeah, yeah. That's a good way, adequate way of describing it. Um, but yeah, for the most part, my, my interest, you know, I'll try and show shows, movies, you know, obviously a lot of media, because that's easy to connect up on, or at least it seems easy. It might be artificial. Um, but yeah. Uh, we've made some serious connections. I've been working on that in particular, and I'm very glad to say that my relationship with my parents have gotten all the better. Well, fantastic. And I, I'm absolutely and, thrilled to um, hear about your yeah. son. Uh, that is wonderful. And uh, I'm sure that the playful aspect that we had talked about to some degree in our last call is going to be yeah. uh, wonderful for your mm-hmm. son to experience as he gets older. So congratulations, man. That is that is beyond thrilling. Absolutely. And um, I'm hey, glad that uh, this show was able to help you. you in part. One other that. thing. Yeah. I do need to update you on one other thing as well. I think I remember tweeting out to you, or at least uh, another chat, is 
um, the LDS perspective on deity. So the LDS perspective on deity is right, not the typical Christian Latter-day experience. Saints, right? Mormons? LDS, Latter-day Saints. Yeah, 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 sorry, just don't acronym to, yeah. to the foreign so with that, uh, listeners may not know what you mean. Sorry, fair enough, fair enough. Makes sense, makes sense. Um, so with that, um, uh, in particular, the perception of deity, so God in a sense, I think you have explained before where, uh, you know, if God is incorporeal, then or it doesn't have a corporeal form, then obviously the omnipotence and omniscience doesn't really make sense. But now... Um, I think you did address way back in the day, you know, if God had a body, he'd be just like, I think you just gave the example of Doug or something like it's some guy out there in space and kind of perfect or whatever. So the perspective of the Elias perspective of deity is that, I mean, he's literally our, our, the father of our spirits and, you know, we're coming down here to be tested and whatever. Now, Leon, you know how much I love um, you, right? Yeah. So, but, but you got to get, yeah. got to get a question. All right, so I'm trying to make sure I can word this right. Oh, that's right. So you know how you can, um, you have the five senses that you can determine the world. See, hear, taste, touch, smell. There's a sixth sense that, um, that encompasses things of a spiritual nature. So things of a spiritual nature can be considered um, that sixth sense. And I think you, to some degree, have works or made use of that sixth sense in a way and i'm just working on a way of when i when i can present it to you all right more well listen you, you do that i'm going to move um, on to the next caller because uh, I, i'm not sure we're going to get a, a big, big question that. out like but listen congratulations that's completely no, thrilling enough, and enough, uh, uh, hopefully call back when yeah. you've got the question sorted out all right thank you very much let us talk to a fine gentleman whose name is sam Sam, can you hear me all right? How you doing? Yes, I can right, hear you. Thank mind? you. Um, I'm a janitor, and I, I know a lot of working class people, and we are wondering about our current economy and if this economic crash, if there's anything we could do to prepare for it. If, you, if you're only making enough money to pay 50% of your paycheck in rent and the rest is, you know, utilities, how can we prepare for economic crash if there is one coming? Yeah, no, listen, I mean, that that's a big question. And, you know, it's not necessarily just dependent upon income. So, you know, I mean, get some food in the basement, get some water. Um, if it's legal where you are, get uh, get some some guns. And, uh, uh, and, and I would say learn some useful skills outside of that. You're a janitor, of course, you're going to have lots of useful skills. That's important. It's also really important to get a like-minded community that is going to have a clear head if there's a time of crisis, right? So you don't want a bunch of people around who you're, you're in a tennis club or you play bridge with them and they're just going to freak out and panic if uh, there is some kind of interruption in the food supply or, or power goes down. So yeah, get a bunch of solar-powered stuff, get a generator uh, and, and get hand-cranked radios and, and food. But, you know, skills uh, that, that are useful and 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 tradable i think a very very good uh, it's the old thing how much value can you provide to people in the absence of electricity that's sort of a good because that's kind of where we came from as a society so uh, you know get get your get the bad people out of your life who are going to be a burden in a time of crisis uh, keep good people in your life who are going to be supportive in a time of crisis 
and then you know cross your fingers and hope that people like me and others working can help prevent it. So uh, I hope that helps, and and uh, thank you very much for your. Uh, your no, call. it does I do help. Appreciate that. All right, David. Oh, looking at that, we're getting lots of uh, two-syllable biblical names. Uh, so David uh, wants to talk about. Oh, this is a bit of a mystery here. David wants to talk about political legitimacy. David, what what does that mean? Can you can you talk to me, brother? Yes, thank you for taking my call. I'll explain the context. Okay, not of my not question. too much context. I'm I need you to get to an London. actual question relatively quickly, if that's all right, okay, my friend. Okay, sure, sure. All right. The question is, the question is that I am a civil servant. I'm an unelected instrument of power in the United Kingdom, a nominally democratic country, which is in such a political crisis that the freedom guaranteeing institutions like an elected parliament, a functioning executive, and a stable monarchy are compromised. Therefore, what political legitimacy in the political situation that Britain faces right now do unelected but power-wielding people like myself have to maintain social and economic stability when an elected government does not exist? Okay, so tell me just for those or those who don't know what's going on, what is the crisis that you're talking about? Well, the crisis which has been ongoing since the referendum is that the government is at odds with the majority view of the people. Um, the parliament does not want to leave the European Union. It is an open secret. Uh, neither does anyone else in power, really. But the people, by and large, voted to do so. And the question that has come up again and again in Britain since the day of the referendum is what is the legitimate course of action? What is the legitimate rationalization for the next action the government should take? Should it be the majority referendum result or should it be Parliament acting in its own sovereign capacity? Well, uh, yeah, I, I think I think the very, very uh, and that's the fundamental constitution that, you know, very, very powerful forces are aiming for the destruction of Europe and the UK as it currently exists, or has it has legitimately existed for many hundreds of years. There's no question about that. I mean, mass migration, opening the borders, population replacement, funneling people, and, and we saw this in, in Borderless, uh, this woman who was in charge of one of the aid agencies actually coaching yeah. no. guys to come from uh, North Africa and, and telling them exactly what to say to pretend they're Christians and, and what to say to game the migration system. Uh, so, yes, this population mixing, this population replacement is a, yes, well, a very Alan strong agenda from some very powerful it's people. It's and getting out of the EU is the only chance, of course, that the UK has to defend its borders with anything other than sort of some sort of hellish vigilante force, which, uh, I mean, obviously everyone hopes to avoid, but it's going to be the next step uh, if no political solution is is present. And, you know, there was this uh, case uh, that you know, uh, of course, uh, from the past, the very famous British politician who said that uh, with, with mass migration of a variety of cultures and races, there was going to be uh, rivers of blood. And we've had some trickles, of course. There have been terrorist attacks. You're referring have to been, uh, Well, let's just say since a lot of the migrants came to Europe, uh, there seems to be quite a certain excess of flammability in the um, the Christian churches and so on. So, yeah, th th this is a, a huge problem. Brexit was a big Hail Mary in the hopes, of course, of being able to close or control the borders into the UK. But because there are a lot of powerful forces that want... Europe and, and the UK to, I won't even say fundamentally transform, but to be destroyed. 
uh, in their current state or or in any civilized state, and that is a reality. And uh, I think the British people are beginning to uh, to wake up to that. So I don't really know how to answer your question about political legitimacy. That's everyone's decision to make in and of themselves. But you know, there certainly have been lots of revolutions in the past, and some of them have been very very successful. So uh, I hope that helps, and thank you very much. For your call. All right, Daniel. Uh, Yeah, sorry, um, I don't really know much about the John Birch Society, so I really can't talk about that in particular. All right, somebody wants to talk about Jeffrey Epstein. You always need to use, like, the horror movie trailer voice for that. Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, You know, that'd be be cool if it was, actually. That'd be quite a get if it was Jeffrey Epstein calling in, (laughs) saying, ha-ha, I'm in Israel. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Are you on? I think this was Jeffrey. Jeffrey, you want to talk about Jeffrey? Or yeah, is there something completely different? Yeah, yeah good evening, uh, Stefan. Um, so we have seen that the the Jeffrey Epstein um, kind of saga has almost completely disappeared from the mass public's eye. I know that, you know, with, with uh, ongoing things, it's kind of been pushed to the back. Well, what are your thoughts on this? Are they trying to kind of scrub it? and push it away and kind of direct our attention to other things? Or what do you think is going on? Oh, it's completely being buried. Oh, without a doubt, it is It yeah. is being flushed like uh, 14-day-old Indian food. Uh, it is absolutely being uh, flushed out of the public consciousness. If you look at how long they kept the Russia collusion hoax going, what was it, close to two yeah. years? And there was oh, yeah. no meat on that fantasy bone at all. So they're able to keep non-stories going for up to two years. This is a genuine, powerful, deep, fascinating story that, I mean, I did, I did a video just me sitting in, in a chair talking about Jeffrey Epstein and it did, you know, well North of half a million views. Uh, It did um, close to that on, on podcasts and people's level of fascination. You know, I keep thinking, Oh look, I'm I'm really, really interesting. And then I put out a video on Kim Campbell and it barely breaks 30 K. But anyway, so without this is one of the most fascinating stories in America at the moment. It is a red pill moment, not necessarily orally. It, it is a powerful um, sort of alignment of a wide variety of people. It is a, a turning point in the entire history of the Republic. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. was tweeting something about, oh, well, you know, they pursue General Flynn and they don't pursue James Comey and, and James Clapper has security clearance and, and they, yet they pursue this guy. And it's like, dude, love you. But post Epstein talking about the rule of law is kind of quaint. You know, it's it's like uh, bringing out doilies at a bachelor party. You know, it's kind of cool, kind of quaint, but uh, this is not where the public <laughs> is at the moment. So the fact that there's such rabid interest in this as compared to how much interest was there in general uh, in the population as a whole about the Russia collusion story. Well, I mean, unless you have OCD and enjoy washing your hands 500 times a minute, hearing the same lies and nonsense and speculation about, ooh, there was a meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and some woman led in by the Obama administration who was a lawyer who wanted to talk about adoption. I mean, there's only so many times unless you really got repetition compulsion that you can listen to that kind of nonsense and speculation. So they can keep all that stuff going, this like sagging helium balloon of conspiracy theories about Trump-Russia collusion, they can keep that going for close to two years. And this story within a couple of days, couple of days, has really dropped on radar. And now, of course, they're just trying to replace it with, with shootings and, and all, all this kind of stuff. And yes, so, yes. yeah, it, it is a massively important story. Uh, it, is, it is fascinating to people in the extreme. 
And the mainstream media, well, you know, go woke, get woke, go broke. They don't want to talk about it because it leads places yeah. they don't want to lead it to. Plus, I would say, I would say this as well. It's not just that it leads to the Democrats and it leads to people that they don't want to lead it to. These are some dangerous people. You know, if they had them killed in prison, (laughs) well, good luck being comfortable in your penthouse, right? So uh, I think there is um, real criminal elements, real powerful elements circling around this particular story. I mean, you got the royal family. You've got the aforementioned um, mysterious intelligence uh, people who are around with Jeffrey Epstein. And, uh, you know, whether that's uh, some people speculate Mossad or something like that, you know. There are some intense... Oh, sorry. I'm getting a call from the intense people that I should stop talking about this. So <laughs> given that I don't have a massive security <laughs> detail 24-7, 23-7, yes, but not 24-7. Yeah, it is uh, without a doubt. Um, it's exactly what the elites want us to not talk about. So I really, really do appreciate you calling in to talk about it. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Ah, let's see. My girlfriend is a social justice warrior, and I'm trying to figure out how to move forward. All right. We don't have a name here, but let's uh, thank you for your patience here, and uh, I will try to get to everyone. Let's go an hour, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, and um, it's kind of interesting because I'm used to like these two-hour calls sometimes, so it's kind of nice to do these uh, uh, bungee ones. All right. Uh, caller of, of no name, uh, you are... Stefan, am I on? You're on. How you doing, man? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. All things considered, doing pretty well. Uh, I do have a question for you, though. You know, I'm uh, 30 years old, professional, you know, pretty much had to work for, for most of what I had, and, and that's always been a, a huge source of pride for me. And I'm, uh, I'm now in a relationship with a young lady who is super smart, you know, very dedicated, the hardest working person I've ever met. And she happens to be uh, very dedicated to the west side of Chicago. So, is, is that the bad side of Chicago or is that the bad side of Chicago? I'm, I'm trying to remember which bad side that is. You know, it's the south and west side are tough. Um, the west side is a little tougher because the violence is way more concentrated. Is she uh, a, a young white lady with Does a savior complex? Is she a What's young that? white lady with a savior complex? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to diagnose. No, no. Right? Like, is she what white? Is trying to do the best thing. Okay, sure. sure. No, I, I don't know. <laughs> you could be anyone, right? So she wants to go and save the the blacks in Chicago. Is that right? Or is it is it just poor people without well, really ethnicity involved? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, if you were looking at Chicago and you were looking at the roughest neighborhoods, I mean, they're 98% African And what does she want to do in Chicago? Yeah. What's her plan? I mean, I think that it's just looking to have the biggest effect, you know? No, that's not so, a plan. I plan to, to have a big effect. The, uh... It's not a plan uh, unless you're doing a cannonball. So uh, what, what does she mean? What is she going to do more specifically? Well, uh, like right now, she's pursuing a master's while volunteering at a trauma center in a hospital and also working with a fundraiser that helps with literacy in the public school. And, you know, a lot of that is charity and it's admirable. And I, I kind of like that. I think that's that's very cool. And how old is she? Yeah. Uh, my okay. 30. And uh, do you want kids? Um, I mean, I don't know that that is has really been a, a huge factor in any of no, those. No, 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 more, uh, don't, don't, hey, don't, 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 don't do fog you, me, bro. How do you, do you want kids? 
Oh, do I want kids? Um, I mean, yeah, maybe. Wait, you're 30 years old and you haven't figured out if you want kids or not yet? What What have you been doing with your time? Well, like, <laughs> Other than benefiting from being alive because your parents <laughs> wanted kids. Right. Do you want kids? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's probably uh, a couple different paths to happiness and, um, you know, there's some, some cool options out there, but, um, you know, as far as my, the reason no, for no, my call no. is, Okay, look, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Somebody okay, how is, long have you been going out for the girl, with the girl? Okay. Two years, all right. Two years. Have you guys talked about having kids? No. I mean, we've talked about not having kids. And does she not want kids? I don't think so. Well, but you've talked about it. What do you mean you don't think so? Does, does she or does she not want kids or is she unsure? Well, I think that uh, a lot of times people make this decision when they meet somebody. Well, she's met you, right? right? So like, are you uh, the kind of guy that makes people, her want to have kids? Right. Yeah, I think I think that it I at least entertain the idea. Look, you're not 20, you're 30. I mean, this is, this is entertaining the idea. It's like, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 25 and I'm entertaining the idea of becoming a dancer. It's like, you know, clock's ticking away and, and she's 30, right? And, and you guys want to get married? Is, is that the plan? Yeah. You do, okay. But you haven't asked her out right? to, to, to be your wife, is that right? Have, you Have I asked her to be my wife? No. Have All I right. proposed? Well, no. Why haven't you proposed? It's two years, right? You should know by now, right? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> this is, uh, it's funny that you, so what I was trying to get at, and we can circle back to what you want to talk to, what I was trying to get at is um, if you had any uh, tips for dealing with somebody who, or, or helping somebody who is selflessly dedicated to a cause that's maybe not exactly aligned well, with dude, yours. the dude. And <laughs> hey, what hey, man, he man, brought listen, up listen. with children. That is exactly what I have been talking about this entire time. Because okay. if you want to cure a woman of social justice, you knock her up. And wh okay. why? Why do you think that might help? Um, it would be a shift in priority. She has her own right? family to so, take care of rather than uh, bungeeing in and trying to pretend that she can mother right. West Chicago. And yeah. that's why, I mean, so you think I'm not talking okay. to you about how to deal with a social justice warrior. And I'm telling you how to deal with a social justice warrior. I mean, social justice warrior stuff comes out of women because okay. women love to take care of people and, and of things. They have, they're nurturers, they're protectors, and they're easy to manipulate that way, which is why, you know, you show uh, uh, p women pictures of, of this the dead kid washed up on the, the little three-year-old boy washed up on the beach in Turkey, and their wombs go into thermonuclear mode, and the, the kryptonite of estrogen washes away the borders of Europe. And so uh, women are wonderful, and, and when women's nurturing and caring is pointed towards its proper end, which is their own damn children, they are a powerful force of nature and the foundation of civilization. When women don't have kids, then those maternal tentacles latch onto other things. And one of the things that they latch onto is poor people. And, uh, you know, the kids with pot bellies in, in North Africa with, uh, uh, you know, crawling around uh, the desert, right? And, and um, sympathy and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, it is um, uh, 
to, to reorient women's caregiving nature towards their own children is the best way to get them to act in ways that are going to actually bring them happiness. See, you can raise your own children and they're going to grow and they're going to progress and they're going to mature and they're going to become adults and and every every day there's, there's progress and there's there's increasing power and comprehension and intelligence and wisdom and all of that none of that's going to happen west chicago man <laughs> like i'm sorry it's just not going to happen and it's certainly not going to happen because of your girlfriend so i would say i would just be frank with you i mean we're doing short calls here so i can be really blunt i'm pretty blunt as a whole but listen yeah no, no you no, say no, to no, her i, I want to have kids yeah, no, do, I, do you want to have kids and if she doesn't want to have kids She's never going to get cured. And if she does want to have kids, you've got a fighting chance. So that would be my uh, suggestion. All right. Uh, thanks very much for the call. Let's move on. What do we got here? Um, I just wanted to touch base on whatever he's talking about. All right. Let's roll the dice and see <laughs> what comes in here. Uh, we are talking to uh, Nicholas. Nicholas, uh, uh, I'm afraid I didn't get my glasses on in time. So it's mystery blur topic. What do you got, brother? Hey, man, I uh, produce a MGTOW channel, small channel. What's the name of the channel? Um, Might as well and, throw uh, it out there. Yeah, I was just listening to your show. What's the name of your channel? I'm sorry, sir. The name of my channel is right. The Reasonable All right. and what's, uh, what's your mind? What's on your mind? Yeah, um, just, I mean, honestly, um, what you were talking about with Epstein, um, primarily, um, is the way I see it, and I want to keep my call short. I know you have other people is um, too many things, too many um, impossible variables came into play <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, the cameras oh, yeah. didn't work and um, the guys were sleeping. It, it just seems like a perfect storm. And it's just kind of difficult to believe that uh, the guy, after attempting to kill himself, actually was able to kill himself uh, two weeks later. And the guys who were supposed to be watching him uh, just, weren't watching the, the him. Idea, the, sorry to interrupt, but the it's idea... It's just hard to believe. That a psychiatrist or psychologist or whoever the hell it was, the fact that we haven't got this person's name seems kind of important. At least I haven't seen it. To put the question out on Twitter, the fact that someone thinks that within a week someone can be cured of suicidality when nothing in their material life has changed. I mean, if the guy gets released from prison, oh, sorry, our bad. Turns out you are run by Mossad and we're letting you go or whatever. I mean, then it's okay. Well, I guess maybe he he feels better now, right? All better, right? Or oh, but but then none of that happened. He was still in jail, still facing the same charges. What had changed in a week that you take someone off suicide watch? I mean, that that's to me that makes no sense. You can't cure someone of suicidality in a week, even in the best of circumstances, when they're still facing the rest of their life in jail. Um, I don't I don't see how that uh, how that can just magically change. Sorry, go ahead. So the only thing that I will say um, in defense of the guards is uh, I've gotten a DUI in the past. Um, so I've been in – I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, and, uh, yeah, our, our parish jail is uh, known for being a horrible place to be. Um, and it, at least from my experience, they honestly don't care whatsoever about the well-being of anybody in their facility. They're literally just there to get a check. And I've pointed this out before on my channel. If those people who work as prison guards had to exist in the private world, they had to have a job doing whatever, and they had a, a you know a privately owned company, no, they okay, wouldn't listen, have a job listen, within two Sorry weeks. to interrupt you, man, but the listen, majority of them don't I, know what I, they're I, doing. They're government workers, right? And I actually met 
um, on a cruise, I met uh, um, some listeners to this show who were prison guards and very nice, very good people and cared about their job and care about the prisoners. But I, I look, I agree with you. But even government workers don't want massive amounts of scrutiny and trouble. Right. So uh, the prison guards for sure knew at least there was one guy there who wasn't a guard. But the prison guards for sure knew that Jeffrey Epstein was a massive, high-priority, most important prisoner in the prison system in America at the time. And if anything went wrong, there were going to be hearings, there were going to be scrutinizing, there were going to be investigations, there were going to be lawsuits, there were going to be you name it, right? So the idea that the guards just didn't care, I mean, okay, so it's the public sector, but that still doesn't mean that they would rather take a nap uh, because they don't care about lawsuits or investigations or having to spend, you know, hundreds or thousands of hours uh, answering questions in depositions uh, after the inevitable look-see of what happened there. So I agree with you, but they're still motivated. And if they're too dumb to even know that Jeffrey Epstein is an important prisoner, well, I don't even know what to say about that. Yes, correct. Um, and the, only, the last thing I'll say is, um, so I'm saying that this looks like uh, an, an execution. It looks like a hit was put out on him. And if something like that, like you said earlier in the show, if, the, if something like that can take place in a jail or a prison, um, and, you know, and, and like you said, right after the guy supposedly just tried to kill himself where the, you know, the, the world's eye are on that location. If whoever it was, if this happened, was able to pull off getting a hit into a prison or a jail, you know, that's very scary. Well, that may be why they wanted to. That may be why they arrested him, right? That might be why he wasn't granted bail. That may be why he was put in jail, so that they knew where he was and had access to him. So, yeah, we will. We'll probably never know, but I know where I would put my money. So, um, all right, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. We'll take a couple. Yeah, take a couple more callers uh, before. All right. Uh, Oh, finance crisis of two thousand and eight, or video of some months ago about some of the Santa Trace. On the planet. Now, that is probably not correct. We're getting some uh, voice-to-text here. So uh, let's drop in and chat with Michael, who is calling from Belgium, which has chocolates and migrants. Michael, can you hear? Oh, I think we just lost him. Okay, let's try that one more time. Michael, are you uh, able to hear me? Can you hear me at all? Yeah, can you hear me? I can. What's up, man? Hey, uh, it's not Michael, it's Axel, actually. <laughs> oh, sorry about <laughs> and that. Sorry for my bad day. Carbon-based life <laughs> no, okay. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's awfully late here, and uh, my English is not the best because it's my third language, so excuse me for that. Uh, but I want to talk to you about the uh, a video you made a few months ago, which was the most hunted race on the on the planet. The most which which was race? the uh, high IQ. The most hunted race uh, about the high IQ. No, 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 not not the not the most hunted race, but the most hunted group. Yeah, I mean the the group that people yeah. want to most yeah. control, yeah. Yeah. and the people who are the most valuable for those in power uh, tend to be the high IQ group. And of course, that's not any particular race because there are very high IQ people from all different races. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I really like the video, but I have uh, two ideas about this, uh, and I want to to hear your reaction about it. Um, the first one, I well, I can follow you uh, how it was in the past where, yeah, the gene pool gets these items of people and they get uh, eradicated from society. Uh, and then you leverage this to uh, see what it's in the current society, if it's the same yeah, thing that's happening now. Um, I'm going to need you to boil it down into a question, my friend. 
Yeah. So uh, the, the first thing I w- want to say is that um, it's quite dangerous to get all the ideas from all the people into the uh, the system because you get bad ideas and bad ideas get leveraged and and yeah. That's still not a question. I, I, I need you to give me a question, my friend. So, do you agree with this that all ideas are can be dangerous? Yeah, I'm. Look, I'm sorry. I, I hope you didn't stay up too late for that, but I'm going to have to uh, drop that one. All ideas can be dangerous. I, I'm not really sure what that means, but it sounds. It's a trap. <laughs> all right, uh, let's talk to. Um, now I don't trust the voice to text. I'm, <laughs> let's talk to Mario, calling about the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, did, did, did get? Did they get that correct? Is it Mario? Yes. Yeah. All right. What's up? What do you want to talk about? Uh, hey, um, you just recently dropped that video, didn't you? <laughs> oh, the one about uh, uh, the the government forcing the, the, banks to the, lend to the qualified minorities. Yeah, I just did that today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if I could just summarize it, Hispanics and blacks toppled, managed to topple the American Financial Institute less than... 25, okay, let's be generous, 35% of the United States population managed to topple a financial institution for, what, 100 plus years? Wait, is that a rhetorical question? Because it sounds like a brief. No, listen. Okay, listen. So, so banking, like I'm sure you understand all of this, right? But banking is one of these things where, let's say that the bank makes 3% on a loan, right? And what that means yeah. is if they have to write off a, a loan of $1,000, right? Say they lend some guy $1,000, and that guy never pays them back a penny, right? That means just to break even, they need 30-plus loans to perform perfectly with no problems, right? So, so that's, that's, a big, that's a big issue, right? So th- this is the kind of margins that banks are working with. So... If one guy welches completely on the loan, 30 guys have to pay it off perfectly just for the bank to break even. Now, the other thing, too, is that banks have to have a certain amount of assets in order to to lend, right? And, and so if, if they have exposure, they have to cut back on those assets, right? So some, I mean, banks lend multiples of the money that they have, right? So if the bank has a million dollars, they can lend 20 million or 30 million and hope that, you know, the juggling and the the interests are all going to work out. And some of the financial institutions were trading at like 30 to one. And, you know, boy, you you, you just get a couple of losses there and it's magnified 30 times. Um, And you have to, so, so you have to dump a bunch of assets to cover all of that. That's 30 times. Right, so if if they lose a million dollars, sometimes they have to reallocate thirty million dollars worth of assets. So there's this huge Whipple effect, you know, and and that's really really powerful. So um, and listen, I'm not saying that the blacks and Hispanics crashed the the the, the system at all. I'm just saying that when the government forces and and listen, as far as I understand it, the majority of the people who had bad loans, um, well. I mean, the majority is in terms of percentage of population were blacks and Hispanics, but there were a huge number of whites, a smaller number of East Asians, and I'm sure a minuscule number of Jewish people who also took advantage of okay, these loans I, as well. I just, Sorry, wanted some, I just wanted some clarification to that because how the video came across, it was like solely black and Hispanics. Like, it, I mean, statistically speaking, 
It just seems highly improbable. Now, I just wanted some form of clarification. Um, I was watching with my girlfriend, and, you know, um, I live on the southeast side of Chicago. I, I tune in. I, I'd like some of your points of views. I think you're highly intelligent. Um, but, of course, my girlfriend was saying that that, that seems a little peculiar. Well, you mean, know I'm what I mean? Listen, like a prescribed listen, narrative. I'm not, I'm not blaming blacks and Hispanics for this. I mean, if if um, I, if I, you can go I, and get a loan and get the house that, of your dreams and get your kids would. into a better school neighborhood, you know that that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, and I just don't like the government pointing guns at banks. Uh, and listen, I have my whole issues with banks, which you and I would probably share. I just don't like the government pointing guns at banks and saying, "Well, you have to lend to people who aren't qualified," because. Well, I mean, who, who did this hurt the most? It hurt people in Chicago. It hurt people in Detroit. It hurt blacks and Hispanics who lost their homes and lost their life savings out of this. I mean, it was catastrophic. And of course, then, because the media lies to, to everyone, then everyone's like, oh, the free market didn't work and there wasn't enough government regulation. And, and then the blacks and Hispanics and, and the, the whites who did this, they all end up hating capitalism. And it's like, oh, man, I wish I had a full guy for every time I made a mistake, yeah. but uh, uh, I don't. So oh, I guess I have to course. be more honest. Does that does that help of with course. the question? Well, uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you for that insight and that clarification. I know you're trying to get your uh, call short. Uh, like I like, like I said again, thank you for that. Um, I know recently you got your YouTube channel back, so I'm back subscribed and everything. Well, and, uh, it hasn't gone, but let's just say man, it priceless. has not been front and center on the YouTube recommended. But thanks, man. I really, really appreciate the call. And and listen, right. thanks to your girlfriend for bringing up the question. It was really, really great. All right. All right, then, man. Thank Take you. it easy. All right. Who do we have now? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. All right. We will talk to Ryan. And uh, if you are listening in this, we're just going to do maybe one or two more callers. I just want to give it a shot and see what people like uh, or whether they people like about this. So we're going to try and talk to Ryan, who's stuck in college and not having a whole lot of fun. Ryan, are you are you with me? Yep. Oh, right. It's not Ryan Gosling, right? I don't have to do any sit-ups to complete this call, do I? All right. <laughs> no. So where are you? What are you taking in school? Um, I'm mostly focusing on like chemistry and biochemistry and that sort of thing. You're going to have to get a little closer to that mic. you got to, Linda, okay, it's just kind of practically. Yeah, I'm sorry. The connection's pretty bad. All right, here. so just give me uh, give me 20 seconds on what's going on for you in college, man. Sorry. What just give that? me like 20 seconds on what's going on for you uh, in college. You say you feel lonely? Yeah, you know, I'm just pretty, like with all the political stuff that's going on, and I'm, I'm at a pretty liberal college. It's just, hard. it's just been really hard to like meet people and you know, make friends with given all the SJW stuff that's going on in campus, you know. And I mean? what are you hoping to get out of college? Why are you there? Um, honestly, I really don't know. I'm starting to think that this really isn't the right environment for me. Listen, it, it, this is not just about college. If you don't know why you are somewhere, try not to be there. Right, that's really, really important. Uh, you know, w w particularly those of us who like to finish things, we kind of we get down, and it's like staring at a treadmill, just like going round and round and round. And it's it's pretty tough to raise your head and and sort of get the big picture perspective and say what it is that I'm, what is it that I'm doing, and is it going to serve my larger life goals? My argument is the only people who should be in college are people who absolutely have to be there because they're dying to be an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, or something wherein you don't have the choice but to go to college. If you go into college for 
English literature, well, just join a book club and get a real job. If you're there for art history, go to a museum and, uh, you know, absorb yourself in the culture. Uh, if you're there for, <laughs> I don't know, what was it? I, I did... Uh, I've been putting, I'm putting, putting out series uh, of uh, documentaries that I shot in California. You can get them at fdrurl.com forward slash CA. Uh, and in one of them, a guy had a master's in textiles to which one of the YouTube commenters says, literally basket weaving. If you don't know why you're there, um, don't, don't be there. That's my very strong suggestion. It's very expensive. It's very, it's going to cripple your dreams. If you're there for business, forget it. Just go start a business or mentor, get a good mentor. So, um, you know, I don't want to tell you what to do because, you know, your life is your own. But I'm telling you, if you're getting heavily into debt, you're not having fun, you're not learning stuff, your social life is terrible, and everything that is coming at you from an educational standpoint is something that you really dislike, uh, you know, you're just paying to be tortured. So uh, that would be my strong suggestion. Pretty much clearly review about what it is that you, um, you want to get doing. All right. So let's see here. Do a couple more. This is way too much fun for you guys. I really appreciate that. All right. Somebody has said, here's the pound key. <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty sure that that is something from the transcription. All right. Uh, I believe the caller's name be Jason. Jason, can you hear me? Uh, yeah. Hey, Seth, is this you? Uh, yes. Is this you? Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. I'm on the phone with Stefan Molyneux. Okay. Hey, uh, listen, um, I actually have two quick questions you'll be able okay, to answer. Okay, just give, give them to me one at a time because I'm not good back. at remembering things. Go on. If, if your name is still Jason. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, sorry. I'm, I'm going to make this as quick as possible. Okay, so uh, first thing I want to know, did Ben Shapiro ever get back to you on having a conversation after he said that? <laughs> no, Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro referred to me in an extraordinarily derogatory way out of nowhere. And, you know, I I like Ben. I've read a bunch of his books and, you know, I didn't like his whole anti-Trump thing and I didn't like how he sided with Michelle Fields uh, in this whole uh, nonsense that went on there. But, you know, didn't really spent much time thinking about Ben Shapiro, and then Ben Shapiro refers to me as a borderline white something-something, and, you know, no proof, no evidence, no facts, no reason, and uh, it's like, okay, well, then, now it's on, okay? Like, I'm sorry, I mean, people are like, oh, you shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you know, the old thing, I don't start fights, but uh, I, I don't back down when they're in. So, yeah, you know, I mean, Ben Shapiro has unfortunately uh, made uh, an enemy out of me by referring to me in a very unjust manner. And he could have apologized and he could have withdrawn. He could have said, hey, man, you know, I uh, got some bad info. I, I relied on Wikipedia like uh, you, like you rely on your, you know, drunk wine aunt to drive you to uh, your graduation. And it's like, you know, hey, uh, my bad, you know, it's withdrawn. And it's like, okay, then we, we move on. But none of that happened. And it's not going to happen. Uh, ben Shapiro, of course, uh, gets his money from donors, not from his listeners. So um, unfortunately, that's just the way things are. But no, I am not going to take people who publicly besmirch my honor and uh, just sit idly by. So yeah, uh, that is the reality. I didn't hear anything back from him. I don't expect to, but uh, that's just where things stand. So go ahead. Okay, uh, that breaks my heart. I'm sorry. Uh, I I have your back. Um, I know better. I know that what that that no, wasn't and, true. Listen, uh, and I'm sorry I, that I, happened. I, you know, I I apologize for things. If I get bad information and I put something out, it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, man. You know, I I got some bad info, and um, you know, uh, it, it it happens. And I you know, I don't hate the guy for making the statement, but I'm sure that tons of people have have have. Um, uh, emailed or, or contacted him to say, no, no, listen, come on, this, this is not where the guy's coming from, where Steph's coming from, uh, but nothing, right? So, um, you know, that's that's just the way it is. It is a shame, uh, but um, uh, that's just that's the way the game 
uh, is is played. But you had uh, another question. Um, do you want me to skip it because I wanted to move on to uh, something that I wanted to tell your do audience? I, do I want you to skip a question when I don't know what the question is? I'm afraid you've given me quite a conundrum there, Jason. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's up to you, man. Okay, okay. I, I'm, I'm just I'm going to spit the question real quick. Okay, so I just want to know: um, Is this going to be like the the new thing, or are you still going to do the the um, same uh, call-in shows that? Oh no! I really like the call-in shows. I really like the I really like the call-in shows that are sort of long, one-on-one, and more in-depth. But I just I love chatting with the audience. So <laughs> maybe we can do. Uh, you know, why, why does it have to choose? Would you like to? Would you like me to continue the the existing call-in shows? I would love you to continue the existing call-in shows. Uh, I, I binge watched those, and I have for like a year. It's changed my life. And, and how stop. have you enjoyed this one so far? Um, so far, uh, it hasn't shown. Oh, up no, no. Like I just mean yet. like you've been listening um, while you're on hold, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Th- this has been interesting. Uh, th- this has been interesting and I am enjoying it, but I don't want it to replace the already existing show. I really appreciate that show. feedback. Thanks, man. It was really, really great to chat with you. All right. Let's do one or two more. Guy says childhood. And, uh, that's a bit of a challenge, so I'm not sure what that is. Let's talk to, I believe, the name is Valerie. Valerie, can you hear me? Yes, I can. What a, an honor it is to speak with you. I've been enjoying listening to your videos, and I, I wish I'd met you or heard about you Well, thank you. you. It's a great ago. pleasure to chat with you. you know, it's an honor for me to chat with you. It, it, it's a great pleasure to chat with the audience, and, and thank you so much for calling in. You're welcome. Um, I'm. Uh, uh, my children have grown and gone, married, divorced, uh, father, three children, same father for the three children. And now I'm sitting alone in my apartment. And I'd like to be in love again, but I'm 61 and um, it's a conundrum. And how old were you when you got divorced, Valerie? I was of 41. Oh, it's, been, it's been a while with the old single thing, right? And did you date? Yes. I mean, it's 20 years, yes. right? But did when you, you're raising your children, you're... not often, no. I've had uh, one serious relationship. And how long did that last then? one? Huh? Uh, what, why did it... Uh, I assume the guy's name wasn't Peter, but why did it peter out? Well... Peter had a drug problem. You had a five-year relationship with a guy who had a drug problem? Things. No wonder well, you I wanted to know. hear about me a little earlier. Know. Okay, I am. I understand. <laughs> I was going to call you at a time when we could actually go through things, but I'm just so happy to see your notice about uh, doing an open talk show, so I thought I'd give you a call. But I could no, actually listen, call um, another time. Certainly send me an email about that, but... Um, you know, uh, it's funny, you know, because I'm sorry. Email address? Oh, yeah, it's on the website. You, yeah, it's just you can find What's it on the email website address? under the call-in show. Okay. But um, yeah, it's tough, you know. And and how long ago was the five-year relationship? When did that end? Ten uh, okay. years ago. And and I assume you've learned your lesson about and, getting involved you know, with guys you know, like you, drug problems. Well, I didn't know he had a drug problem, but the, I think the biggest problem with me is. I don't trust men, so I've 
sort of I'm an attractive woman. I'm still in great shape. And uh, no, no, very, no, no, no. You've got the no, hang on, hang on. you've got I'm the equation sort of backwards. With all due respect. It's not that you don't trust men, it's that you don't trust yourself. Yes. In other words, you don't trust your judgment of men. Right? If you if you if you were able to trust You're your judgment right of men, then you would be able to trust men. Because you would know that you wouldn't be involved with a secret drug addict, right? Okay. I guarantee you, Valerie, if, if you go back and you're kind of real harsh and you irradiate the beginning of that relationship, the five year relationship with the drug addict, I guarantee you that you would see signs. And there were signs that this guy was dysfunctional. There were signs that this guy had problems. And maybe he was attractive. Maybe you were lonely. Maybe, I mean, obviously, he was attractive. But maybe there was something about him. Yeah, he was really tall or handsome or, or rich or something that, or, you know, had a particular wit or charm or something that really blew you over. And therefore, you, you stepped over the warning signs. And listen, I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. We've all had someone who's like, I know it's a bad idea. I know he's got problems. But he's so pretty. <laughs> we all we all have we all have that. So I say this with all genuine and deep and human mammal to mammal sympathy. But if you want to trust yourself, you have to go back with a fine tooth comb, a giant flashlight, and an X ray machine, and say, okay, what did I miss that I saw? Now, if you can do that, and I guarantee you there was stuff, right? If you can do that, and you can say, okay, here are the warning signs that I ignored because of X, Y, and Z. I was lonely. He was too hot, or whatever it is, right? Then you, if you see those warning signs and you're on a first date or a second date, you can, you know, drop the guy. Because and look, anyone who's like, if, if someone's twenty and they have problems, they've but you're you're in your early sixties, so somebody who's your age who still has a lot of problems, they're not going to get fixed. Like they're just not. It's not going to happen, right? It's sort of like if you're seventy and you have a bad knee, it's I not agree. getting better. Like I mean, you're just going to have to go and get it replaced with some cyborg knee or something, right? So, if you look back and you can figure out. What were the warning signs that you overlooked for whatever reason? And the reasons can be per are perfectly sympathetic to, to those reasons. But if you can look back and say, okay, these were the warning signs I ignored, then you can look for those warning signs. And if they're not there, you can begin to trust again. But it's not men you can't trust. It's your own judgment. Does that make sense? I get it. I get it. When I met him, he was in sobriety. He had uh, five years sobriety. So you I thought he was on the right track. He had a business. The poor, innocent wow. man. You, no, I'm Sorry? just kidding, right? So, okay, so he'd been a previous drug addict. He was sober. Um, was he in counseling? Was he continuing yeah. with his sobriety program? He was meeting. Okay. And yeah. were there yeah. any clues? Were there any yes, clues? Because did, if you're yeah. going to tell me there were no clues, then you're telling me you didn't know the difference between your boyfriend when he was on drugs and when he wasn't. And that seems hard to believe because drugs have an effect, right? Well, it's because his, his dad got sick and he started dealing no, no, with but, drugs. But, but, but there's a difference. The last if someone's on drugs, you can usually tell, right? Yeah, I did. The last year that he was, I noticed there was something wrong because he right. wasn't himself. And if it was the last year, was it the last year that he That's took drugs or was it earlier than that? It was the last year, yeah. Right. Dad so you have to just be relentless with people. If you have suspicions, you just have to be relentless and you have to get the truth. You just have to. And and listen, listen, listen. Well, if he's got a pre, if he's a drug addict and you're noticing, or he was a drug addict and you notice bad behavior or you notice problematic behavior is not himself, then you say to him, listen, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but I need a blood test. And and listen, if he's going to say, well, I'm offended and I'm upset, like that's, you know, you're a drug addict. You're under a lot of stress. Your dad's sick and, and, and you're not yourself. I need a drug test. And if he doesn't want to give you a drug test, you say bye. 
All right. Like that, that's, okay. that's the level of, of done that, yeah. um, and, and you see, if you were that kind of person, he might, I'm not blaming you for him being on drugs, of course, right? But if you were that kind of person, then he may have hesitated more before taking drugs again, because he'd say, because, you know, at the beginning of the relationship, if someone's been a drug addict, you say, okay, if he's whatever, he's got qualities of personality enough, you want to, you want to date him. You say, look, but if I ever suspect, if we need this commitment at the very beginning of our relationship, if I ever, even tiny bits of suspect that you're back on drugs, you're going to give me a blood sample that day. I'm going to, I'm going to need a urine sample. I'm going to need a blood sample. I'm going to take it straight to the lab. And you, you have to agree to that before we even start dating. I get it. That's that. That's, right. And uh, then, and then of course, and, and, and you can say to him up front, if you even I- hesitate to give me that drug test, I'm dropping you like a hot potato because it means you're back on drugs. And that's the level of, of assertiveness that you need. And, you know, you're, you're older now. You're a mature, uh, a fine specimen of a, of a woman. And so you can afford, if you're a good-looking woman and, and you've got qualities of character and you listen to this show, which means you're brilliant, you have the right to demand that kind of stuff. So you put this stuff right up front. Everything in a relationship is defined by the first couple of interactions of the first time you start setting boundaries. And if, you know, there's a reason he knew he could get away with taking these drugs for a year. And that's because, for whatever reason, you weren't just sitting there. You hadn't defined it at the beginning and you weren't following up at that time. Well, we had a small business, and when I started to see some Yeah, well, you don't, again, office, it's uh, even more important if you get involved together. in business with somebody who used to be an addict. Listen, people can be reformed, and addicts can, can be reformed, but you need to have that. And an addict will respect you for that and will say that, you know, that's perfectly uh, sensible. And he should have brought that up. He should have said, listen, I'm an addict. If I ever show signs that I'm not myself, uh, you demand that I give you a drug test like that. Like, he should have been all over that kind of stuff, and, and that should have been way up front for dating as well as for the business. All right. I Listen, get it. There's more that I can do. Just just shoot me an email. We'll set something up, all right? I appreciate Thank you that. Very much. Thank I you so much for your work. It was, uh, most illuminating. All right. Should we do one more? Should we do one more? All right. Let's get from our thing here. All right. Nathan from Vancouver Island. I'd like to discuss the Canadian. I don't know what that means, but let's find out. Because, you know, it's good to get some CanCon. Um, are, you, are you on, my brother Nathan? Brother Nathaniel, why does that seem familiar? Anyway, go on. Yes, I'm here. Yes, I, I gave up voting, disgusted by the outcome of the robocall scandal. But after uh, following uh, uh, Trump, supporting him every summer of 2015. Well, have I, you I'm looked into uh, the People's Party? <laughs> my question team? is, well, my question is, I think most people um, in Canada are a little disgusted with uh, Justin uh, Bieber. I mean, Justin Castro. Uh, sorry, Justin Trudeau. So, how can we Canadians keep from splitting the opposition against him? Well, I mean, that's, that's a big question. So, the big the big problem with Canada right now is immigration. Immigration is absolutely nuts, absolutely out of control. It is a tidal wave. I mean, we have the highest, I think it's the highest per capita immigration rates in the Western world. It's four times that of France. It's it's absolutely mental. And that's because, I mean, Justin Trudeau is so bad that they're trying to stuff the ballot with immigrants who are almost exclusively going to vote for the Liberals. So it is a massive demographic battle that's going on in Canada at the moment. And Andrew Scheer is useless as tits on a bull as far as I can see with regards to immigration. The only guy, and listen, I'm, I'm aware that me talking about this kind of stuff is not necessarily good for the guy, but facts are facts, right? Maxime Bernier, B-E-R-N-I-E-R, is the only guy 
in the Canadian political scene who's actually talking about demographics, who's actually talking about immigration. And um, you need to look at interviews with this guy. He's been on Lauren Chen's show. You need to just look him up and, and see if what he says accords with what it is that, that you believe. And I think that if you care about the existing culture of Canada, then he's the guy who has really the only chance. Now, you can say, well, but if I vote for him, that's going to split and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, okay, but at least then you'll give him a voice in government. He'll be up there challenging. He'll be debating. And, you know, maybe it's next round. Because if it ain't next round, you know, according to the data that uh, I've talked about with Canadi a Canadian professor, uh, whites are going to be a minority, uh, a significant minority in Canada from like, was it 97% white uh, to uh, there'll be about 20% white uh, in 40 to 50 years, uh, Canada. And, and I mean... Culture is culture, and demographics are demographics. So uh, you just got to talk to people and and try and wake them up and try and get them to get out of this politically correct hole that the entire West is falling into. That's you know you got to put things on the line. You got to put your relationships on the line. You got to just get in people's faces. You know, I mean, don't scream at them or anything, but you know, if they have to be made uncomfortable to hear the truth, better that they're uncomfortable now than uh, vastly outvoted later. So I hope I hope that helps. Uh, yes, I agree with uh, Michael Savage uh, in his book, uh, Liberalism, is a, Liberalism is a Mental Disorder, that a country can only be defined by a border, a language, and a culture. If you try to pick at any one of those things, you're attacking the country. Okay. All right. Well, I think uh, I appreciate that. Let's let's uh, call. Um, uh, yeah, appreciate that. Thanks for your Thanks call. Thanks very uh, much. Let's, uh, sorry for everyone who's listening. Uh, I will do this again, Thank I promise. So I just wanted to sort of take it for a test run. Tonight, uh, I really, really do appreciate everyone's time. I really do appreciate, of course, everyone's support. And uh, we've got a new website coming up soon, which is uh, called, uh, it's going to be called Just Free Domain, right? We're dropping the whole radio, like Radio Shack did. We are dropping the whole uh, Free Domain radio, just going with Free Domain. It's going to be a whole rebranding. And uh, please check out the documentary at um, fdrurl.com forward slash CA. Or, of course, you can go to YouTube and check out Sunset in the Golden State. Please let me know. Uh, I'll put this on YouTube, of course. Uh, sorry about the portrait thing, but uh, forget about the... Uh, uh, there was no good way to do a camera with this tall mic. But anything, you don't need to know all this technical crap, but uh, I'll put this on YouTube. Please let me know what you think in the comments below. Uh, I think it's a useful thing to do. I really do enjoy it, and um, thanks, everyone, so much. Um, great, great time chatting with you guys. Uh, all the very best. I'll talk to you soon.